Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. All of us know that today is the first Sunday of the new year. We are standing, as it were, just within the portals of the year 1970. And I hope that all of us are beginning the new year right by coming to God's house and that we are happy in having done so. But perhaps when you came in this morning, you were a bit startled and you said, why, it looks like Christmas. And may I say to you, it is Christmas this day. Today is another festival in the Christian church. We are celebrating the festival of Epiphany. It has a number of names. It is known as the Gentile Christmas. It always happens on January the 6th, which would be Tuesday. And you recall that we sing a song about the 12 days of Christmas, 12 days after December the 25th. This festival of Epiphany is a Christmas festival. It is the Christmas of the Gentile nations. In this world, in the Middle and in the Far East, there are a number of Eastern Christian churches that will celebrate Christmas on Epiphany or this coming Tuesday. It is known as the Festival of the Twelve Days. It is known as the Festival of the Lights, primarily as the Gentile Festival because it commemorates the coming of the wise men from the East, those men who were Gentiles, not Jews, who came to the manger child of Bethlehem. And that's why today we are going to look again at the child of Bethlehem and we're going to ask the question at this time of the wise men. We are going to say, wise men, what child is this? And this is their answer, why this child is none other than the king of the Jews and also our king, for we have come to worship him also. So we may say to ourselves, is it true, as the wise men would tell us today on the Epiphany Festival, that the manger child of Bethlehem is no less than the king of the Jews and also the king of the Gentile nations? Is he the king of a kingdom that brings salvation not only to the Jew, but also to you and I who are non-Jews? Can you and I believe that testimony of the wise men? We ought to say this to ourselves, if the child of Bethlehem is not only the king of the Gentiles as well as the king of the Jews, then you and I might have to say, our salvation therefore is in jeopardy, it is hopeless and it is useless. Could it be that the child of Bethlehem came only to be the king of the Jews, only to establish a kingdom for his own people and not for you and me who are Gentiles? And we say to ourselves today on this Gentile Christmas, what do the scriptures say? 
And as we celebrate Epiphany, and as we celebrate this feast of the twelfth day, the feast of lights, the coming of the wise men, may we look to the word of God and say, what do the scriptures say as regards this child of Bethlehem? Oh yes, he is the king of the Jews, but is he also, as the wise men testify, is he also our king? Is he the king of a salvation that brings salvation not only to the Jewish race, but also to us who are of the Gentile race. And thank God as we turn to the scriptures, we find this, that in the first place the scriptures testify that God foretold that this child of Bethlehem would not only be the king of the Jews, but he would also be the king of the Gentiles. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve, when they had sinned and there was Satan in the guise of a serpent. And you recall what God said to Adam and Eve and to the serpent said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. We may say, were Adam and Eve Jews? And they were not. You never heard that word. Were they Hebrews? They were not. They were the human race. What race they were? The human race. They were the world. And therefore, even what color they were, whether they were white or whether they were black or whether, again, they were yellow, we know not. The Word of God doesn't tell us. But Adam and Eve, they were the entire human race. And God then promised that the seed of the woman, that the child of Bethlehem that would come, was going to be the savior of, again, their offspring, showing that God in prophecy had foretold it. We come down a thousand years to the time of Noah, and we say, was Noah a Hebrew? No, we never heard the word before. Was he a Jew? No. Again, Noah, again, was a child of God. And we say, what did God say to him? When Noah blessed his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, you recall that when he blessed Shem, in prophecy he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. He was prophesying that the child of Bethlehem would come from Shem. Now that word seems very familiar to us, doesn't it? We talk about Shemites. We talk about Semitic people. We call the Jews a Semitic people. In prophecy, God was having Noah say that the child of Bethlehem was going to be the king from Shem. He would be a Semitic he would be one from a race that would again arise by the providence of God. But let's not forget that when Noah blessed his second son, Japheth, he said, and Japheth shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Now Japheth was the ancestor of all Gentile nations. And there in prophecy, God said, and Japheth, Shem, he shall dwell in your tent. He shall share with you with the Lord God. So even in Old Testament prophecy, God had foretold that this child of Bethlehem would not only be the king of the Jews, but he would be the king of the Gentile nations as well. We come down to Abraham. Now Abraham, we can call him the first Hebrew. Some call him the first Jew, even though that's an anachronism because the word Jew was not yet invented. But again, he became the father of what you and I know is the Jewish nation. But what did God say to Abraham? He said, Abraham, if you go where I will go, tell you to go. He said, I will make of you a great nation. And he said, in you and in your seed shall all the families, all the nations of the earth be blessed. Not only, therefore, was the seed from Abraham's nation, from this Hebrew race, not only was that seed to be again the king of the Jews, but God had foretold that all families and nations of the earth would be blessed in him. 
We say to ourselves on this Gentile, this Epiphany celebration, this Gentile Christmas, how about the child of Bethlehem? Is he also our Savior? Was he meant only to be again the king of the Jews? And then there was Isaiah who lived 700 years before the child of Bethlehem. And in the 60th chapter, Isaiah says in prophecy, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And then he says, And Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. God had prophesied that this child of Bethlehem was surely going to be the king of the Jews, but he was also going to be the king of the Gentile, the non-Jewish peoples, your king and my king. God had so told it. And then God wove into the events of his life the assurance that you and I would know that he came to be the savior of the Jew, yes, and he came to be the savior of the Gentile, he came to be the savior of all. We go back to the time when Moses relinquished his charge as the leader of the children of Israel on the eastern banks of the Jordan and Joshua, you know, took command. And when they crossed the Jordan, God told them they were taking the city of Jericho. And you recall that it was Joshua who sent some spies into the city of Jericho to spy out the city and how they might take it. And again, they were hidden in the home of the harlot, of the prostitute, who lived there in Jericho, and her house was built up against the wall of the city of Jericho with a window to, again, that opened out on the outside. You recall she kept those spies there, and because she did and allowed them to go free, and they were not taken by the people of Jericho and killed, uh, that the Israelites told her that if she would put a red cord in her window when they took the city of Jericho, that she and her household would be saved. Rather strange, isn't it? A red cord in the window of the prostitute of Jericho over 3,000 years ago and down even into our day. Places of immorality are still called red light districts or red light houses after this prostitute, after this harlot of Jericho. And strangely enough, she was saved when they took the city, when the walls of Jericho fell. And I stood in Jericho and saw again the ruins of that city. And she married an Israelite by the name of Salmon. And their child's name was Boaz. He had a mother who was a prostitute who was the harlot of Jericho as his mother. And his father a Hebrew. And then you recall the story that there lived in the land of Israel. There lived a man by the name of Elimelech and his, mother, his wife's name was Neoma. And he had two sons, Malan and Kilian. And you recall that when there was a famine of the land, they crossed into the region of Moab. And there Malan married a Moabitess, a Gentile girl by the name of Ruth. And Kilian married a Gentile, a heathen girl by the name of Orpah. And then you recall the story where Elimelech and Malan and Kilian died. And then Naomi was ready to go back home. And she said to her daughters-in-law, You stay in the land of Moab where you have lived. And I am going back. And you recall that Orpah stayed. And it was Ruth that said, Oh, entreat me not to leave you. And she says, I'm going to go where you go. And she says, Your God shall be my God. And where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. And where you die, I'm going to die. And you recall that it was this Ruth who was a Moabitess, a heathen, a Gentile. She fell in love with Boaz, whose mother was the prostitute of Jericho. And they again were married and their child's name was Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse became the father of David. That this Ruth, the Moabitess, was the great-grandmother of David. And David, again, he was the ancestor of Jesus Christ. God in the Old Testament is woven into the very blood of Jesus. 
He wasn't a pure-blooded Jew. He had flowing in his veins the blood of a harlot. He had the blood of a prostitute. He had the blood of a root, a Moabitess, a heathen. God saying to you and me in prophecy, and as he shaped destiny in the Old Testament, this child, he is the king of the Jews, but he is also the king of the Gentile world. And therefore you and I see a tremendous king and child here, one who loves us all, regardless of who we are or what we are, whether we're a Jew or whether, again, we are a Gentile. And that's why today, on this Gentile Christmas, I would say to Jew and Gentile, if you're a Jew or a Gentile, let's look back once more into 1969, and then let's never look back again. Let's look back for the moment for anything in your life and mine of which we are ashamed in the past. And when we look back and we say, I'm ashamed of this and I am ashamed of that, let's know this, that we have this child of Bethlehem who is not only the king of the Jew, but also the king of the Gentile nation who loves all of us regardless because in his blood there flowed the blood of an immoral woman and also of a Gentile who loves you and me. And when you and I can turn and look back once more, and we can lay at his feet everything in your life and mine of which we're ashamed this morning and ask him to forgive and then let's burn the bridge forever. Let's never look back because he says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I remember your sins no more. Can we this morning forgive ourselves once and for all one last look in the past of 1969 and let's never look back again those things of which we're ashamed. Let's forgive ourselves this morning because the child of Bethlehem, he loves all Jews, but he loves all Gentiles, and he cares not who we are or what we are. This is Epiphany. This is Christmas. This is, again, the festival of the twelfth day. This is the commemoration of the wise men. We may say to ourselves, well, when the wise men say that this child of Bethlehem is no less than the king of the Jews and also the king of the Gentiles, can you and I trust that kind of testimony? What do the scriptures say? And in the second place, let's know this, that the scriptures testify that God shaped in a miraculous way the events of the world so that Gentiles were led to know of this child of Bethlehem. Here we're commemorating the coming of the wise men, and we, we have a lot of questions about the wise men. We say, who were they? Who were these wise men from the east who came? Well, again, we really don't know, but as we look into the word of God, we can have a pretty good idea. We know this, that in the year 586 before Christ, we know that the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity over into Babylon, about 600 miles east of Palestine. They lived there for 70 years before they were allowed to come back. And it's very easy to believe that when the Jew, and now again we hear the word Jew because they were again of the tribe of Judah, and that's where the name comes from, Jew. When they were in Babylon, they told the Babylonian people about the hope that they had as a people that there was going to be a Messiah that was going to come. A star was going to come out of Jacob. And again, evidently, this knowledge that they had given in Babylon it, again, it lived throughout the centuries, and then God did something tremendous. Evidently, these were men from Babylon, and because there was a life there, because the Jew had one time lived there, that there was going to be a Messiah, a Savior to come, God chose by a miraculous star to reach over into Babylon and to bring them. You say, well, how many were there? 
Well, the reason we say three, the word of God doesn't say three, is because they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh, so we made them three. Isaiah 60 says, And kings shall come to thy rising. And some feel that this is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 60, so they have been made kings, but the word of God doesn't tell us that. Again, we call them magi. We call them astrologers. They were studiers of the stars. We would say astronomers today. There are no names given, but in tradition they are given names of Gaspar and Melchior and Balthazar. That's tradition. The word of God doesn't say it. And because, again, Isaiah 60 mentions camels and dromedaries, we put them on camels. How many there were, we do not know, but we do know this. They were Gentiles. And the only explanation for the star, it was the miracle of God, God reaching into Babylon and bringing the Gentile world, bringing the Gentile world to introduce the Gentile world to the king of the Jews and yet also to let them know that this was also the king and the savior of the Gentiles. The king to Jerusalem. And of all things, when they asked, where is he that is born king of the Jews? No one in Jerusalem knows anything about it. So the birth of Jesus didn't create much of a stir. When Herod heard about it, he was very much troubled because Herod thought an upstart. Somebody's going to take my kingdom and I'm going to have to kill him. And the people were afraid because they knew that Herod would stoop to nothing in order to get rid of him. So again, Herod calls the chief priests and he brings them together and the Bible students and he says, uh, what does your scripture say about him? Where was he to be born? They rightly say, Micah said, Bethlehem. So again, Herod finds that out. He secretly calls the wise men into session. And he says, what time did the star appear? When did you first see the star? Trying to find out how old would this child be? How long has it been? Well, the very fact that he has the infants in Bethlehem killed from two years under uh, shows that it may have been as long as two years before the wise men got to Bethlehem. I know at Christmas time we have the star, we have the shepherds, and we have the wise men all together, but that isn't according to Scripture. Uh, Jesus had been circumcised on the eighth day. Mary had taken him with Joseph again. They had gone to Jerusalem, and they had offered him and the sacrifices, and there they met uh, Simeon, as we heard last Sunday, and Anna, the high, the, again, the prophetess, and they came back, and they were living in Bethlehem. So when the wise men come... As they start from Jerusalem, and Herod says, you go find the child, and then come and bring me word. Then the star appeared again, and for six miles from uh, uh, Jerusalem down into Bethlehem, that star guided them in a miraculous way, it's the only explanation, until it came and stood over the place where the child was, and then we are told they went into the house. So Jesus was no longer in the manger when the wise men came. And these Gentiles from, no doubt, Babylonia, they went into the house and found the child and Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They found this Savior. The gentle. What a tremendous, glorious way that God had. Dramatic to be sure. To lead the Gentile world to know this babe of Bethlehem. He is surely, he is the king of the Jews. But he's, in addition, he is the king of the Gentiles. And they offered up to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God that they should not return to Herod, you know, they went home another way. It ought to mean this to you and me then today as we celebrate this Gentile Christmas. This, again, the eastern part of the world celebrating Tuesday for Epiphany. This is when the wise men, the Gentile world, found the Christ child. We ought to say he is, to be sure, the Savior of the Jew. But he is also the Savior of the Gentile world, your Savior and mine, of all men. And because it means this, what a tremendous Savior, that his offering, his sacrifice on the cross, it was universal, it was for all men. He died for all men. God so loved the world. That's the kind of a Savior that we have. That's who this child of Bethlehem was. 
he offered for all. And therefore today, whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, I would invite all of us again to turn and to say, here we are standing just within the portals of a new year, which says, what ought we to do? We ought to do this, all of us. We ought to embrace him as our king and as our savior, to put our faith and our trust in him for eternal life, to know that he who is the universal savior, that he merited a 100% righteousness for not only every Jew, but also for every non-Jew, for every Gentile. And when you and I today can say, I rest my faith, I put my hope, my trust, my confidence in you, the child of Bethlehem, as my Savior, then, oh, what a wonderful journey it's going to be because we have settled one tremendous thing, that if death should come to you and me in this year, 1970, uh, it doesn't make any difference. We are saved. There is no greater satisfaction. There is no greater joy that can come into your heart and mind than to know that we are saved. We are saved in this Christ, this Jesus who was the universal Savior. Epiphany says he was not only the Savior of the Jew, but he was also the Savior of the Gentile. We say today, oh, this is Epiphany. This is another Christmas. And we ought to celebrate it. It ought to be a joyous time. Christmas isn't only one day, December the 25th. We go on for 12 days. It is, again, the Gentile Christmas. And we say, uh, do the scriptures really testify and assure us that this child of Bethlehem, he was, as the wise men said, the king of the Jews and also their king. And to be sure, it does because the scriptures testify that God again, God saw to it that the glorious good news of this child of Bethlehem became known to the Gentile world as well as to the Jewish world. The Apostle Peter primarily was the one who spent his time bringing the news of again the Savior, the King of the Jews, to the Jewish people. But recall how God raised up Paul or Saul of Tarsus. He became the great apostle to the Gentiles. And what a thrill it is in the word of God to read how God guided him, how he started his first missionary journey over in Antioch in Syria, came down to the island of Cyprus, went up into Galatian country and up into Pisidian Antioch and also in Iconium and in Lystra and in Derby and on the second missionary journey when he came to Troas and he heard the Macedonian call to come over into Macedonia, to Europe, and cross the Aegean, went up into Europe, up in Macedonia, and preached the gospel up in Philippi, and down in Thessalonica, and over in Berea, and down in Athens, and in Corinth, and then jumped over into Asia Minor, over into Ephesus. He practically covered the whole known world, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. Thank God in the very fact that the Church of Jesus Christ exists we see that this child of Bethlehem, he is the king of the Jews, oh yes. And we would not take that away from the Jewish people, but he is also the king of the Gentiles. And therefore, he is one having all power. His church lives. And look at the Christian church today, predominantly Gentile. It grows and it continues to grow. Jews, yes. It's still open for the Jewish people. And the Gentile world still comes because he is not only the king of the Jews, but he is the king also of all Gentiles. And that ought to mean today as we are standing just inside of the portals of this year, 1970, uh, that whether you and I are a Jew or whether we are a Gentile, that we ought to turn to him and put tomorrow into this child's hands. Are you afraid of tomorrow? Are you and I say, what's going to come here? It's not only a new year, but it's a new decade. We're out of the 60s and we're now in the 70s and there'll be 10 years now. What are we going to have? What's the world going to be like? And you and I stand and say, I'm afraid. 
Oh, there's war and there's bloodshed and our sons and our daughters are engaged in war. What's going to be the end? What about poverty? What about, again, civil rights? What about all the problems of life? Are you and I afraid? Listen, this manger child of Bethlehem, who is the king of the Jews and also the king of the Gentiles, his church still exists, doesn't it? The gates of hell have not prevailed against it, and it's still growing. Can't you and I just take the future tomorrow that we're afraid of and just say, Lord Jesus, I'll put it in your hands. There is no luck. There's no chance in your life and mine. There is nothing that's just going to happen in this year. There is nothing that is by faith that is going to come to you and me. It's got our name written on it. Not at all. He is the one that has all power. Not even a sparrow, he tells you and me, falls to the ground without his permission. And he promises you and me that if we let him guide us, he says this, nothing shall come that will ever be greater than you can bear. He promises you and me, never will I put a ten-ton load on a ton-and-a-half truck. Never. I'll never allow a load in this year to come upon you that is greater than the strength that I will give you to bear. And he promises you and me this. He says, and I will overrule every adversity for your good. You and I have seen the greatest reversal in history, the cross. He died a horrible, shameful death on the cross. And it was overruled so that the cross becomes an evidence and an emblem of joy and of pride. And we value it. And Jesus says in the same way, any evil that comes that I permit to come, I will reverse it that it will be a blessing and he promises you and me in this year, he says, you may not understand. You may look up and it, you're looking at the bottom of a piece of embroidery and you see all the knots and the narrows and it doesn't make sense and you may get discouraged. But he says, I promise you that when someday you look at it from the top as I see it, that you will see a pattern and you will see that it's beautiful and you will thank me and you will say, Lord Jesus, it was just right. Oh, he doesn't say there won't be any tears in 1970 because there will. But he does assure you and me that whenever we look at him through a tear, well, that's when he becomes beautiful and when he becomes tremendous. Oh, let's be like the little child, you know, that was walking with his dad and he walked up ahead of his dad and the road was rocking. He kept on falling down. And the father said, come and let me take your hand. And the little boy came and says, oh, no, Daddy, let me take your hand. And he took his father's hand and they walked along and he still fell down. Finally, the father said, son, let me take your hand. And then the father got a hold of the little boy's hand. And then they walked down that rocky road and that road with bumps and all kinds of holes. But the little boy never fell after that. This Christ says, will you just do this? Let me take your hand. Let me hold on to you. I promise you. Everything will be just right. And if you look up at me with a tear occasionally, I'll just look that much more beautiful. But everything will come out just right if you let me take your hand. And when Jesus takes your hand and mine and we walk this unknown path, we can sing we can sing again in honor of his epiphany. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star, O oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, 
guide us to thy perfect light. He's the perfect light, my Jewish, my Gentile friends. And again, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Christ-filled New Year when you let him who is the King of the Jews, also the King of the Gentiles, let him take your hand. Please do. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.